uh, or get to the West, oftentimes people who were living in America who are non-Asian didn't know all those distinctives. And so they see everyone as Asian or from the East. And so as a result, uh, they said, you know what, we're seen as this kind of monolithic group, maybe the best way for us to seek collective action for ourselves is to come together under this broad term. Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or watching this episode on YouTube, would you take just a minute to go and give us a rating and a review? Ratings and reviews really do add up, and they help new listeners to find the show. Thank you so much. And lastly, don't forget to check out our show notes, which are always full of resources like articles or other podcasts and books. You'll find a link to my bookstore created in partnership with 10 of those, where you'll see the books recommended on today's episode. My 10 of those store always has discount prices and $1 shipping. Welcome to All Things, everybody. I am so glad to be joined today by my friend, Curtis Yee. Curtis is a writer and an editor, and he regularly contributes to Christianity Today and Sojourners, amongst other magazines and outlets. So Curtis, before we dive in to today's topic, can you just briefly introduce yourself to the listeners? Maybe tell us where you live, what you love to do, maybe your favorite topics to research and write about. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I am currently a journalist living out in Washington, D.C. And so I... um, yeah, it's funny, somebody asked me what my favorite topic is to cover, and I think it is really anything with minutia, anything that is a little heavy or confusing, and trying to parse out the distinctives and um, com- complexities there. So whether it's race, culture, society, anything that gets at these kind of crossroad touch points, I really love to try and unpack those things for folks. Uh, but usually in the rest of my life, I'm hanging out, going to restaurants. I'm a big movie person, a big cinephile. So hanging out at the theater quite a bit. That is awesome. Okay. So we, we have the first thing you mentioned totally in common. Um, I am like you, I love to dive into the minutia. Where do things collide? And so I think that's why we're friends, Curtis, and I'm grateful to our mutual friend who introduced us. So we've gotten to, you know, I've learned from you in person and I've learned from you online and I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I never go to the movies. So we don't have that in common. <laughs> no, oh, it's so fun. I love the movie. There's something about it, you know, um, sitting in the big screen, the dark room. I respect that. And I, I think you're right. I just never take the time or money to go. Like, honestly, we have lived back in the United States for seven years now. And I, I think I've been to the movies one time. <laughs> well, so you know, to each their own. You know, I spend too much money at the movies. So, you know, maybe you're saving some money and maybe you have, you know, uh, I don't know, more things that you have to take care of. So fair enough. Fair enough. We balance each other out maybe is the case. Exactly. Yeah. So this month is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So I chatted with Curtis over email and I have just, and as we've even met in person, I have voiced to him that my feeling is the Asian American perspective is often overlooked. And I realize even as I say that, you know, the Asian American perspective really does a disservice because um, that's just a huge conglomerate of various cultures and um, ethnicities. And so I I just want to acknowledge that out front. 
But those perspectives, I feel like, are often overlooked or misunderstood or sort of maybe we get to it at the, you know, at the end if we have time. But with it being AAPI month, I wanted to pause our programming and just take some time to do a deep dive. And, and I've said to Curtis, I know a half hour is not going to do it justice. Like, I know that this falls woefully short of having a really robust conversation about Asian American culture and the Asian American church. But I at least want to introduce the listeners to this topic and give people like some starting points to dive in. So Curtis, thanks for being willing to participate in this conversation and just enlighten us and help us out a little bit. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, happy to lend as much expertise as I have. So So this being a podcast where we focus on current events and trends through a Christian lens and you being a Christian journalist as well. um, I know that you have, you have written quite, quite a bit about the Asian American culture, but also Asian American church in particular. So, you know, this is a huge question, but just to get us going, jumping off um, as it were, can you start us off with some background about the Asian American church in particular? Like why, where, what is it? Where is it? Why do we have a specifically Asian American church? Just start us off. Right. Yeah, that is such a big question. I will do my best to try and distill it down as much as I can. Um, it's, I think the best place to start is to acknowledge that the term Asian American is actually a fairly recent one. Uh, maybe in the past 60 or so years ago, it didn't really exist before that in common usage. It comes from the uh, Third World Liberation Front and UC Berkeley uh, in the 1960s. And so there was this idea that when you have these Asian immigrants coming from various countries, whether it's Laos, China, Korea, all these different places, um, all these countries are often in conflict with each other, or they're very distinct in terms of their cultural background and their cultural practices, their religious um, you know, demographics and things like that. But when you get to America or get to the West, oftentimes people who are living in America who are non-Asian didn't know all those distinctives. And so they see everyone as Asian or from the East. And so as a result, uh, they said, you know what, we're seen as this kind of monolithic group, maybe the best way for us to seek collective action for ourselves is to come together under this broad term of Asian American. You know, we're seen as a collective, why don't we act and you know, take action as a collective. And so that's where that term really begins. But in order to get to the idea of the Asian American church, um, you really have to look at different waves of immigration, right? You have, uh, before you can get to an Asian American church, you really have to think about a Japanese American church or a Chinese American church or Korean American church, because, and all of those are very different because they all have different language groups um, that, you know, they're coming from. And so when you immigrate to a country, and if let's say you don't speak the native language, then you're naturally going to come up and spend time with people who do speak your language. And so as a result, you have these mono-ethnic churches. Uh, I grew up attending a Chinese-American immigrant church that was started to minister to Chinese immigrants uh, in the Sacramento region where I grew up. And so as a result of that, you can have all these different monolingual congregations that pop up for different uh, ethnic groups. And over time, as those churches maintain and if they stick around, um, those people who started it, their children will grow up in the United States. Um, they will learn English in school. And as a result, you have an English congregation that flourishes. And over time, you have these Asian Americans who are growing up predominantly speaking English. Uh, and they're still at these churches that were initially meant to cater to people who didn't speak the language. And so you have churches with multiple services. You have uh, offshoots where 
people will start a church that's not, that's not exclusively for Asian Americans, but because of the networks and people that are around them, they tend to be predominantly Asian American just because of that community. Um, and those things can also, you know, vary by denomination based on where missionaries went. Um, if your listeners are Baptists, they may know Hudson Taylor, Lottie Moon, uh, folks who were ministers uh, in Asia, in China. And so as a result, you have a lot of Chinese that are Baptists. And so you'll have, or you'll have Koreans that are Presbyterian or Methodist. And so there's a lot to unpack there, but so there's some of the underlying trends uh, when you're looking at the Asian American church. Yeah. Oh man, this is fascinating. And I feel like we could run in a hundred different directions. Um, what would you say right now, Curtis, in 2023, that quote unquote, Asian American churches, do they tend to be filled with the children of immigrants or are they still reaching immigrants? I mean, is like, is the flow still such that there's a need for, you know, a Chinese speaking church in Sacramento or does that church now speak English because of, you know, multiple generations? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of a both and, um, but I think you have a lot of, it's, it's a both and for sure. Um, what you'll have in a lot of these, I'll stick with these immigrant churches, you'll have multi, uh, multiple congregations in one church, which is really interesting because you wouldn't expect that. There'll be one church, but you'll have a congregation that speaks and where they're preaching and teaching and singing in English or Cantonese or Mandarin uh, or other different dialects uh, as they are related to. But I think typically the trend is that you'll have these English speaking ministries that grow larger and larger, right? Because that population of people who are growing, if you're having kids or whatever, is going to drastically outpace um, the, you know, wave of immigration and, you know, obviously immigration ebbs and flows. So as a result, you have one church, but a lot of different needs, a lot of different mm -hmm. cultural needs, a lot of different linguistic needs. And as a result, they'll have different dispositions about how they minister to one another, the needs that they have, the way that they want to serve their community. Um, at the church that I grew up at, they had a lot of uh, language services. You know, you move to a country, you don't speak the language, you need help dealing with the government or the IRS or how to pay your taxes yeah. and things like that, these convoluted um, you know, documents. And so the church was oftentimes a community center and a hub for people to, you know, get help with those services. Uh, and now, you know, maybe you have second generation or third generation Asian Americans that are speak predominantly English or don't speak another language at all, which would be the case for me. Um, and so oftentimes that can feel similar to the, just the American church in general, though with some, you know, specifics that are oftentimes um, things that people don't even realize are distinctives mm -hmm. of the Asian American church or the Chinese American church because they're speaking English, they're living in America, and they may not even know to distinguish those things from each other, how to do that quite well, because it can be a little finicky. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you said something that I did not know, kind of blew my mind. One congregation, no, one church, multiple congregations. So you would have one church body, but multiple congregations, different cultures, different languages spoken amongst them. My immediate thought is that sounds difficult. Um, and maybe that is my <laughs> white Americanness speaking, because I'm like, that's a lot of diversity that we're trying to bring together and create unity. Um, is it tough? That sounds tough. Yeah. And I, yes. And that is what the pastors who lead these churches tell me. I certainly am not in those back rooms, but I mean, I think about any church, right? Trying to communicate and 
get people on board with the same mission, the same vision, um, the same ministry, you know, opportunities, fellowship opportunities, that can be complicated in one language, right? Because people yeah. are upset or they're confused or they're concerned about different things. And now take the idea that you have those distinctives, but you cannot communicate to that person at all because you don't speak the same language or you don't speak it very well. Um, and then you have ministry leaders who also are struggling to do that. And so it can be very challenging, I think, at a lot of times. And people are, um, yeah, it can just be very difficult. And oftentimes, yeah. if you want to think about it in terms of uh, ecclesiology, like, are those three churches? Is that one church? Um, and so it is a particularly difficult, excuse me, um, set of circumstances to kind of deal with. And there aren't, there's also not a lot of resources on those topics. And so a lot of that comes from word of mouth of pastors working with one another to try and sort out these situations that often really have not, you know, um, kind of these challenges that are not as commonplace amongst other churches in the U S or even in other countries, um, you know, as a result. So. Yeah, I am just kind of inspired by that fight for unity that I hear you, you know, that there's leaders who acknowledge the diversity amongst us, but it's worth it to be unified, or at least it's necessary out of desperation. And so how do we, how do we fight to stick together? And I, honestly, that's such a good example to us. And I feel like we, we have a lot to learn from that. Um, question for you, Curtis, as you said, you grew up in a Chinese American church um, and now you have moved, you know, from West Coast to East Coast. And I would imagine church life looks a little bit different for you now. Um, obviously, you can only speak for yourself, but maybe sort of pointing us to your generation as well as your, you know, others like you. Is it difficult to feel at home at church? Is it difficult? You know, do you feel like at home is everywhere and nowhere? Um, having grown up in one context and probably sort of evolving to different contexts as you age? Yeah, no, I definitely feel that it's it's so fascinating, right? Because I think the church as a family is a metaphor that as Christians we are striving towards, right? It's the one that we use a lot and it's one that we're hoping to embody in the relationships that we have with one another within the church. Um, growing up in, you know, the Chinese American and Asian American church, you know, so much of that felt like a reality because, you know, after church, um, we would spend, you know, you would go to service, but then you would probably also get lunch with people and maybe somebody goes to somebody's home and you, it could turn into an all day affair. Some, a lot of times people will have potlucks or things like that, that, you know, feel like full meals and full, you know, you're just embedded in each other's lives uh, because you're also living in that same community. And I think when you go to a city uh, like Washington, D.C., and I'm sure people in other cities uh, can relate, you know, the pace of life is different. The ability to traverse um, and, you know, connect with each other is very different because people may be spread out or you go to a church that's a commuter church and people are going 30 minutes, you know, driving to hear a particular type of preacher. And it can be difficult because you don't have that connection point as easily. It's harder to get plugged in. And so I think that's always been a struggle for me because that was my baseline for what yeah. a church just generally looks like. And maybe for other people that may be different. Um, but there was always that communal feeling. And so even when other churches are trying to match that, there's maybe some cultural differences about the expectations of what Sunday looks like uh, or what it looks like to embed yourself in someone's life or get to know someone. Um, those are always really tough questions, but I think it's also a joy, right? To try and sort that out 
um, in different cultural contexts because you learn uh, the strengths and the weaknesses and the way that God has gifted different people, uh, whether they be regional or cultural or ethnic, uh, and the ways that they do minister to people. And so to me, I think as someone who is has lived in multiple places, that to me is something that I enjoy learning about and hopefully trying to see the beauty and the diversity of God's church. But I think that can also be a difficulty in that, trying to adjust to those different norms. Yeah, I really appreciate your perspective and just the way that you are optimistic about that and calling that a joy. Um, you know, it's something that my kids struggle with a bit as well, having grown up overseas and just feeling like this isn't what they are used to. It's different, but um, obviously a different, different scenario from you, but some of those similar threads of, of what is home and what is church supposed to be like. Do you, I, I, I'm curious if you could help us understand how um, perhaps your parents, grandparents' generation view the function of the church versus how your generation views the function of the church. Has the relationship between believer and the institution of the church changed um, for better, for worse, mm. more integrated, less integrated? What is, mm -hmm. and again, I know this is a huge like conglomerate question, but your <laughs> observations with your peers, how, how is it, how is it growing or evolving or different? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think one of the things that I think is most interesting, I would say I am uh, probably like zillennial, quote unquote. So halfway mm -hmm. between that, you know, barely at the edge of millennial, cupsing on Gen Z. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that's happening right now is you see uh, a lot of people questioning the function of the church. What is that? What is it supposed to be, right? As you mentioned. And I think before, for my parents or grandparents' generation, you had a lot of, the church was that community place, oftentimes because it was the only, one of the few community spaces that you had. So if you don't speak the language, then this is maybe one of the few places that you can engage. Or if you are Christian, you know, and you're looking to meet other Christians, there may not be as many access points that you have. And now growing up in the 21st century, you have online speakers and conferences and, you know, famous people to read and listen to and all these infinite number of books, right, to go to. Uh, and so as a result, I think I can only speak for myself, but I think it's this interesting double-edged sword, right? Because I think you can go to your local church and it's, to me, that's something unique and specific that is more than just like the good teaching, because you can find good teaching on the internet, you can find it anywhere. Uh, but the nature of that community to me is really, really important yeah. uh, of getting to know people um, at that interpersonal level. Mm -hmm. But I think that also then brings up, um, you know, I think interesting intersections about the priorities of the church uh, and what the church values right now. Um, and I think I see a lot of people, at least that I know, struggling to kind of fit in you know, that desire to be with other Christians, to be with other people of the faith and wrestle with um, their own personal priorities, whether it's in terms of how they're living their life in terms of their application of scripture, their desire to pursue justice in the world, um, their cultural frameworks that they have and feeling as if maybe the church may not be adequately addressing those questions or may be perpetuating certain uh, issues of, you know, whether it be, you know, trends around spiritual abuse or yeah. things like that, they may not know how to deal with. And so maybe feel like even though they want to be at church, they're not sure if the church is a place for them. Uh, and so this interesting, tough, tough position, you know, I am a recent transplant to a new city. And 
I know that the church is important to me, but oftentimes I'm like, I have my, you know, five Christian friends. Is that the same, you know, to spend time with them versus trying to get plugged in at a church that is, you know, or, organized as a church and doing the, you know, uh, the Eucharist and baptizing people and doing the function of the church. Um, but maybe it's also harder for me to get plugged into, you know? Right. And so I think a lot of people, you know, being transient, transplanting, and I think maybe more individualistic in the West, trying to figure out what function the church plays. And so I think as, you know, those resources kind of expand, there's just more questions that I think people are wrestling with that I think the church needs to be prepared to sit through with people. Yeah, this is helpful. I think it's so good for those of us in majority culture, or just anybody who's not Asian American, but a believer, just to be aware of these nuances, because, you know, for many, I'm I'm guessing for many, for many congregations, and this is true of ours, um, we are in a predominantly white context. And so we do have minorities in our church body, but they are definitely a minority in our community and in our congregation. And it's good just to know, like, here's what's maybe coming in the, um, the perspectives and the feelings and the weight that maybe somebody's bringing in with them. So I appreciate you shedding light on that. Um, let's transition just a little bit and let me ask you to put your journalism hat on top of this cultural <laughs> analysis and good insight into the church. Um, we see headlines, obviously, from time to time that involve Asian American communities. Um, I'm thinking of those the mass shootings that happened in January, which was obviously really awful for our whole nation to observe. Um, other things like college admissions, yeah, I feel like that kind of peaks up once in a while. Um, of course, there was the very good news about everything, everywhere, all at once, and the awards that came with that. That was exciting. But Curtis, how does journalism... How does mainstream media shape the way that we in the United States view Asian Americans? Yeah, that's a tough question to unpack, but I think it is the nature that, again, Asian Americans, I'll I'll, I'll go back to this point, that Asian Americans are a very diverse group of people, right? And so as a result, it's really hard to kind of grapple with who Asian Americans are, what they are, um, because it's not always one thing. Uh, and as a result, you know, they all have different, Asian Americans have different perspectives based on their ethnic background, based on when they immigrated, um, you know, part, you know, on my one side of my family, um, you know, my, my family has been here since, you know, before World War One. on the other side, post 1965. And so those are very two different types of Chinese American, you know, in terms of history and heritage uh, and background based on when they're coming into the country. Um, but I think when it comes to journalism, I think the big thing to note, of course, is that all journalism is, as much as it attempts to be objective, as much as it attempts to tell the truth, is always coming from a vantage point, because it's always written by a writer or an editor who is human, who is embodied, who is sinful, who is un- unique in their own particular way. And so when we look at the American media landscape, oftentimes that is predominantly white, it's predominantly older. And so you have areas where when you're writing about communities that are different than yours, uh, maybe there's application for the church as well, you're writing about those communities uh, through your own personal lens. And if a lot of majority of those people are white, you're seeing them from an outside in perspective. You're looking at these communities from the outside. as a result, you know, you're going to get a particular framework. And so oftentimes there can be, I think, 
in journalism, there cannot be a lot of, I think, what I, I would refer to as like white tourism of like, see how the other half lives in this part of the region. Or like, this is what these people are doing, telling their majority white audiences um, how a particular group of people lives their life. Uh, and I think what we hopefully want to see, and hopefully what I would like to see in journalism, is a push for greater Asian American representation as well as representation for all sorts of different groups uh, within the media to kind of tell those stories on their own terms. Um, and as a result, um, I would also say that like, when we look at the media and the way that it's structured, we see a lot of fracturing. Um, yeah. And so the mainstream media institutions that maybe would capture a larger share of the population are capturing smaller shares. And you see um, people of smaller you know, demographic groups able to speak to their own constituents a little bit more directly. And so we see these kind of, um, I don't know, just like different perspectives being showcased to maybe a smaller constituency, a smaller group. Uh, but as a result, it then means that, you know, people who are in that broader constituency may have less access points um, or may less of an understanding of what's going on. Uh, but that also means that there are more access points to kind of sort of do that if you're willing to kind of do the work and dive in to understand those topics. So. Yeah, that's you make a good point about if you're willing to do the work. Um, that phrase, white tourism, is painful and really appropriate. I just you really like you really capture it, you know, just as just I, I, the image that comes to mind of somebody who's very much on the outside but walking around and taking things in and probably drawing crazy conclusions. So um, yeah, as I appreciate that. Um, what can we do as consumers of the media, consumers of journalism? What does it look like to do some work to get beyond having a tourist perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are two different types of stories. Or When you think about any big particular issue, I think there are, I like to think about two different lanes that people are thinking in. There is the general sense of what um, lay people are thinking, right? So if you want to learn about Asian Americans, there are, Asian American writers, authors, um, people who are writing about their own heritage, their own communities, their own life experiences on a very personal level, uh, or they're writing within the community um, that they live in. You know, um, when there was the Monterey Park shooting um, just a couple months ago, um, I knew some of the reporters that were there, and I knew that they lived in Los Angeles, and so I think I was paying attention to their work a little bit more than, let's say, um, you know. I don't know, the flyover folks at maybe an NBC who are you know flying people in from New York yeah. to hop in, take a look at the ground control and then fly back out, you know, and what we would call parachute journalism. Mm -hmm. And instead looking, if you want to know about a particular group in your neighborhood, finding the local people who are on the ground in the communities who can speak to it on a much deeper interpersonal level. Um, but also on top of that, there is the, I think the broader definitional, definitional or maybe, um, what's the right word here, um, educational framework of understanding that just because someone, a lay person may feel a particular way, you may inter you read an interview of an Asian American who feels a particular way about college admissions, right? But you may want to, if you look into the history of immigration, you read a book about Asian American history, it may paint a very different picture about why you have a particular demographic um, leaning in you know one direction politically, socially, or whatnot, and having that broad overview 
to understand why regular people are making the decisions that they are. And I think sometimes that comes in reading books or long form pieces uh, and doing the work to kind of get at the underlying um, conditions of why certain trends occur. Yeah, that is so good. And I know we might not have time to mention them, but I'm going to link them in the show notes. I know you do have some resources for us that you think will be helpful. One other thing, oh, there's so many other things I want to touch on, but before we get um, come to an end, I, I know that you have researched and written about mental health within the Asian American church. Can you um, just give us some touch points for what you, from what you have learned in, in diving into this particular area? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'll do my best to summarize. I think when it comes to mental health within for Asian Americans, it's, I think, a difficult topic because I think, and I'm speaking generally, um, yeah. but I think oftentimes a lot of Asian Americans struggle to address their feelings um, and to kind of vocalize and verbalize those things out and sort them out within oneself, but even in within their own communities in terms sure. of their emotional um interpersonal health. And that can be for a lot of reasons. That can be cultural, the desire um, to save face or to, you know, a, a fear of sh being shamed within the community for not um, reaching up to particular standards. Um, but that can also be a function of, you know, a racialized culture or society that, you know, uh, if you come here as an immigrant, maybe you don't speak that language. So you maybe have a you know, tendency to turn inward and not speak about things that you've experienced, especially if you're coming uh, from a background uh, where you come as, let's say, a refugee, right? Your ability to speak about that may be traumatized and you're not willing or able to speak about that as willingly. And so you maybe don't pass that down to your children. So there's so many different facets um, that kind of lead to this framework, um, cultural or, you know, um, maybe as a result of, um, the environment where Asian Americans are not sorting through those things as well. Uh, and so, you know, I think what really needs to happen or what I would hope to have happen is for Asian Americans to think about, you know, have more interpersonal lookings at themselves, but also the way that their Asian heritage impacts that. I think oftentimes as Asian Americans, it can be difficult to understand what that looks like and what that means because we are so diverse and so different that we don't often think about those things. And we don't have a as strong of a tradition about what that ethnic heritage looks like in the same way that maybe the Black church does. And so for the Asian American church to address those things and dig into that, I think is really vital and helping, would be really helpful for folks like myself and other people to just consider um, how that impacts their lives. Uh, because if you're not actually addressing those or thinking through those things, then how, and you don't even know that um, maybe there may be a trigger response or a trauma thing, then how can you bring that before the Lord? How can you address that yourself if you don't quite know what it is? And so I think having that cultural heritage background and unpacking that can really help folks, um, you know, just think through what that means for their own lives and how to uh, submit that before God. Wow. Big answer, but really helpful and a, a good word for all of us. Um, Curtis, you have instructed us so well. Thank you for enlightening us when it comes to Asian American history and the Asian American church, as well as journalism, and now even with um, mental health and thinking these things through. I feel like I'm just really grateful to have um, heard from you and to offer this to our listeners. Where can people keep in touch with you or follow your writing? Know when, when you have something published. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, folks can find me on Twitter. I am at Curtis F. Yee. Uh, and so people can find me there. Mostly I'm tweeting memes, but occasionally I am posting written work and articles and things of importance. So it's a mixed grab bag if you want to follow me there. <laughs> That's perfect. That's what we all like to follow. So Curtis, exactly. thank you for your expertise and sharing it with us. I'm grateful. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And thank you everybody for tuning into All Things. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All Things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.